Good morning. Our text this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 in the bulletin, but it should have been 1 through 9. That is my mistake. For some reason, I thought verses 8 and 9 was just verse 8. So, verses uh, uh, 1 through 9, technically, uh, but let's bow in prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, you are good and gracious and kind, and you always work as your word is preached. So we pray, Lord, uh, be present, for if you are not, uh, all is in vain. Uh, May your word not return void, as you have promised. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revenge is a pretty awful feeling in the end. It never really gets you anywhere. I remember humiliating someone in high school after they humiliated me. And not only did it make everything worse, but I felt an overbearing sense of guilt. It really didn't help anything to stack evil to evil. It never really works. Uh, You've probably heard before, man, he started it, but I sure did finish it. Probably heard that before. But the finishing part really doesn't feel any good in the end, you see. In the end, now you have sins to confess and repent of, not just the person who sinned against you. All you did was add sin to sin, which always leads to more sin. And listen, it's one thing to add sin to sin with an acquaintance. That's sinful, and it won't help anything. But if you fight evil with evil in your own home, it can easily tear your whole life apart. You see, a godly spouse does what is right in the face of evil. A godly spouse does what is right in the face of evil. That's our big idea this morning. Our outline is very simple. A godly wife, point one, and a godly husband is what we'll look at after that. So let's first focus on these first six verses from the Apostle Peter. Uh, And in this short letter, in part, he is exhorting Christians to live righteous lives so that when pagans see their good deeds, the unbelievers may glorify God. An essential aspect to this is submitting ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And our passage takes place in this context. Now, surely marriage is a divine institution, but notice Peter says in three one, in the same way, or likewise. And so in the same way that we are to submit to human institutions, wives are to be submissive to their own husbands. As we begin, let's first deal with what submissiveness means and what it does not mean. Uh, First of all, we must note that to submit, this uh, command of submissiveness, uh, is applied to all of us in Scripture, in one way or another. No one is in a position where they do not have to submit to someone else. We are all called, for example, to submit to the governing authorities because they are God's servants. Church members are called to submit to the elders. We are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, all church members to one another. Children are called to submit to their parents. See, submission is for everyone, but in different ways, depending on who God made us to be and what he has called us to do. Even if President Biden were repented, believed, turned to the Lord, became a church member at Christ Central, uh, 
he would have to submit to the elders. This submission is never required in any relationship, however, if the leader commands you to sin. If the government says, bow the knee to this idol, or thou shalt not worship, we must disobey. If a father tells a child to lie to their mother, a child must disobey. If a husband tells a wife to commit some sexual sin, for instance, the wife must disobey. Whatever it is, if the leader tells anyone he is leading to do something that God forbids or to disobey God's commands, you must disobey. Disobedience in that case is required. If that is not the case, then submission is required. Also, submission does not mean that you don't have a voice. It simply means respect and humility is required when critiquing or rebuking a leader. Submission is simply living life in obedience to the hierarchical structure that God ordained for us to live under. But this obedience isn't the same obedience that we give to God, surely. For we, uh, for the leader only has authority insofar as they are consistent with the higher authority. We are to submit in the Lord, Scripture tells us. In the Lord. And take note, submission surely is despised in our day, in any context, not, let, let alone wives submitting to their husbands. Uh, living in this way is countercultural, you see, and can even bring the contempt of the world. But it's also something that brings about the pleasure of God. So the Apostle Peter says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And this is the case even if you have an unbelieving husband. For what will ultimately win your husband over? If that is God's will, what will ultimately win your husband over? Is it you constantly rebuking him and preaching the torments of hell at the dinner table? Or is it by conduct? You see, Peter says, Submit to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the respectful, by your respectful and pure behavior. Now, this doesn't just apply when your husband is an unbeliever, surely, but it also applies if your believing husband is acting like an unbeliever. Or to put it another way, this applies when your mic ran out of batteries. So I'll project. I got it. Good. Uh, so, uh, there's two temptations here, whether you have an unbelieving husband or a believing husband, and that Peter mentions. The first uh, is some women think that being rough back to your husband is what will eventually change him. Maybe nagging or being quarrelsome or contentious, that may do the trick. Uh, but if you think that will work, I'll gently say, I don't think you know or understand how men work. And you don't know or understand how men need respect to flourish. So what does Peter say? So what may win over your husband is purity, is respect, is gentleness, is a quiet spirit. Now remember in Proverbs 31 that we read in our first reading uh, this morning, the Bible's picture of a godly wife there very clearly is a strong woman. You see, the Bible affirms that women are to be strong, but they are to be strong in the way that women are strong, strong as a woman. woman. Women are not supposed to pretend 
that they are men trying to be strong in the way that men were called to be strong, but be strong in the Proverbs 31 way. And of course, Peter acknowledges this, but strong doesn't mean loud-mouthed, prideful, naggy. Being a strong woman is not opposed, you see, to being respectful, pure, quiet, gentle. These things do not conflict with one another. In fact, being disrespectful and strong are opposed. Disrespect and roughness is not strength. Usually, it signifies fear. A wife who's unwilling to fight evil with good is probably a scared, anxious, worrisome wife who's trying to do things her own way, taking things into her own hands and not doing things God, God's way. And we know where that leads. Another temptation here is some women try to win over their husbands by outward appearance. Important to note that the thrust of Peter's argument isn't that women should stop taking care of themselves or that earrings are evil in and of themselves. Surely that's not the case. But the issue is women who think that the outward is what is most important. Or women who think that they can fix the outside without dealing with the heart and things will be okay. The truth is you can dress up all you want, but it won't change your heart. And it won't ultimately fix or help your marriage. You see, God sees the heart. And if that is where your focus is, God will be pleased and he will bless you. Why else would he say that the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in God's sight. Verse 4. See, focus on adorning yourself inwardly. That should be your aim. You should ask yourself, do I consider how I can better myself outwardly more than inwardly? Is my focus on my face more than my heart? Is my focus on my body more than my heart? Is my focus on my clothes or my jewelry? Or is my focus on my heart? It's kind of like when you're on the phone in the car and you miss your exit. So your focus was on the wrong thing. And you will miss your exit if you focus on the outward rather than the inward. And uh, next Peter says that wives, uh, you have good examples of this in the Old Testament of what it means to be a godly wife. He specifically points to Sarah and we could think about all the times that Abraham did not act like a good leader, like a godly leader. And yet Sarah, fo Sarah followed him anyway, submitted to him, did what was right in God's eyes even if her husband was not doing right to her. Abraham twice lied that Sarah, his wife, was his sister. You probably remember this story. In order to save himself from a possible conflict with the king. And this puts Sarah in great danger. And in our minds, we think, why would Sarah ever respect that man ever again? How in the world could she continue to submit to him? Answer, she didn't submit for Abraham's sake for the Lord's. As Peter says in 2.13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. How scary this must have been for her. And yet she trusted the Lord. She continued to love Abraham even after the incident. And she still followed him and respected him. And God blessed her for it. See, loving your spouse 
even when they are acting unlovable, shows a deep trust in the Trinian God. And women who are gentle, quiet, submissive to your husbands out of the fear of the Lord, Peter says they are Sarah's children. They're Sarah's children. If you do what is right without being frightened by any fear, verse 6. That's a very interesting phrase, I think. Do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Women, do not be frightened by any fear, Peter says. Listen, the, the thought of respecting someone, even when they treat you wrong, is frightening. It's frightening. It makes you vulnerable. And most uh, women do not want to be that vulnerable. So they fight and quarrel. Being vulnerable is difficult. And due to our fallen nature, when someone sins against us, what do we want to do? We want to meet them where they're at. We want to fight sin with sin. But what does the Scripture say? Listen to the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. And if your husband sins against you, badly, it would be nice to keep burning coals on <laughs> And that's how you do it. Not with evil, but with good. Do not be overcome by evil, the apostle continues, but overcome evil with good. This is exactly what Peter says in our passage in verses 8 and 9. Do not return, as a paraphrase, do not return evil for evil or insult with insult, but give a blessing instead. For you are going to inherit a blessing. This is the logic. You are going to inherit a blessing. So trust me, you have a blessing to give, since God's blessings abound forevermore. Peter recognizes the challenge of being vulnerable in this way, the challenge of doing good in the face of evil. And says, be like Sarah. Don't, uh, don't be scared to respect your husband, even if he is in the wrong. You see, Peter doesn't think this is easy. He doesn't say this flippantly. This, for this can't be done apart from the Spirit, can it? And this is what God wants. And this is what will bless you in the end. See, blessing will never come from adding sin to sin. Adding sin to sin will never be a blessing. We all agree that if your child sins against you, sinning against him in return will not help the situation. If you curse him and scream at him, it's not going to help. We can all agree there. So why would you think with, when your husband sins against you, adding your own sins on top of it will help the situation? It won't. It's foolishness. And now not only your husband has to confess and repent, but so do you. And what did it all accomplish? It only made things worse. Uh, yes, he is most responsible as the leader for what goes on in the home. He is the head. But Peter is saying, why add sin to sin? That will not win your husband over if he is an unbeliever. And it won't uh, win him to confess and uh, win him to repentance if he is a believer. What did your Lord do? What's the example of the Lord? While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, 
he uttered no threats, but entrusted himself to God who judges righteously. You see, when you do what is right in the face of evil, you're entrusting yourself to God who judges righteously. And so women, imitate Christ in your marriage. Imitate Christ. For a godly spouse does what is right, even in the face of evil. And now Peter moves to husbands in verse 7. He moves to discuss husbands. He starts again by saying, likewise. Likewise, or in the same way. Which tells us that although, although there are differences in how a wife is to be in a marriage, and a husband is to be in a marriage, there is an overriding principle or principles. You see, both are required to put the other's needs above their own. Both are required to do what is right, regardless of the other's actions. If the wife is in sin, men be understanding and considerate and gentle. Honor her, regardless of her sin. If the husband is in sin, be gentle, quiet, Submissive, regardless of his sin. You see the principle. A godly spouse does what is right in the face of evil. And the first exhortation that Peter gives to husbands is to live according to knowledge or to be understanding with your wife. This means to be understanding even uh, when you do not understand. In other words, be reasonable. Be humble, in other words. It also means to learn your wife. Grow in understanding of who she is and how she thinks and how she feels if this happens or that happens. Learn your wife. Don't say, you make no sense to me. And then just leave it there for years. Never trying to figure her out. That would be foolish. No, understand your wives. Understand your wives. How many husbands learn their children? They work so hard at learning and understanding their kids, but they never seek to learn their wives. But being understanding, this is important, being understanding doesn't mean that you will always agree. I, I mean, I, I remember when I, first got, when I first got married, many men, many older men, typically non-Christian men, would come up to me and say things like, just know she's always, she's always right. She's always right. Just know that. She's always right. And I'm basically telling you, don't lead. Just be passive. Never lead. And that's, uh, that would be a sinful thing to do. That would, be, that would be being like Adam, you see. You are required to lead. This understanding means, simply, that we are to be considerate, gentle, patient, patient, and reasonable in our leadership. Sometimes you will still disagree and gently lead into another direction. And sometimes you'll find out uh, that, that uh, your disagreement was unwarranted. Um, but nevertheless, be understanding. And the Apostle Paul doesn't, the Apostle Peter rather, doesn't stop here. He continues. He says, be understanding as with someone weaker, or with, as with a weaker vessel. At first, this might sound shocking to modern ears, but let me explain. If, if I was to say, men are called to protect their wives, None of you, I think, would have an issue with that statement. All of you know that it is a good man who checks the noise in the middle of the night. Right? You don't push your wife out of bed. Go deal with that burglar. 
that robber, go deal with him. No, a good man deals with him. A good man protects his family. Uh, because we, we all inherently know that the woman, in this sense, is a weaker vessel. When a woman is scared and frightened, it is a good man that stays even keel and helps and is a rock for her. Men are meant to protect, to treat your wives then as the weaker vessel in that sense. This does not mean treat your wives as weak. This does not mean treat your wives as less than human, of course. This means treat your fellow human who is made in the image of God, who you are married to, who is your equal, as a woman, as feminine, as your glory and your crown. Uh, women are equals, and the differences between man and woman does not change that fact. See, woman was made to rely on man in terms of protection and stability, and men were made to rely on women for nurture and care and support. And this is how God made us, equals, male and female. We complement each other. And acknowledging these differences, as Peter is doing, is not degrading towards women. Rather, it's simply the acknowledgement that they do indeed exist. What is actually degrading, in other words, is to not acknowledge the differences. That would be oppressing femininity. That would be oppressing godly womanhood. And that would be a rejection of who God made you to be as a woman, thereby quenching the blessing that comes when we all live life in light of how God made us to be. God made man and he made woman. And we need to acknowledge those differences. By calling the woman the weaker vessel, the Apostle Peter is acknowledging the difference. But he's not degrading. And notice what Peter does in the same section. He says, don't overlook this. He says, treat your wife with understanding. He says, honor them. And he says that they're fellow heirs with you of the grace of life. Don't overlook this. You see, to treat them with understanding implies a high view of womanhood and the equality of women because this implies that a husband needs his wife for she's highly valuable as a helpmate. So understand her. To command the honoring of women implies a high view of womanhood and the equality of women because of who else we are called to honor. We're called to honor our parents, and in the context of First Peter, just a chapter prior, we are called to honor the emperor in the previous chapter. Honor the king, honor your wife. Was that a normal way of speaking in the ancient world? No, absolutely not. And why do you think the early church was filled with slaves, filled with women? It's because Christians believe in equality. But we also believe that although we are equals, we were made differently for different purposes and different reasons. To call them fellow heirs implies a high view of womanhood and the equality of women because males and males only were the heirs in the ancient world. You see, Peter's aim, when he says to be understanding to your wives as with someone weaker, his aim is love. That's his aim. His aim in this phrase is love. And so a good husband honors, a good husband loves, and seeks to understand his wife. He's considerate to her and her needs. And Peter sums up well in verses 8 and 9 
Again, 9 is not in the bulletin, so if you have your Bibles, you can see that there. But Peter says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You see, you were called to inherit a blessing. The idea is, well, now go and be a blessing. Overcome evil with good. You see, Peter's point for both husbands and wives is to bless one another. Don't return evil for evil, but evil with good. Women, be submissive and have a quiet spirit, adorning yourselves with what's inward. And men, don't be so selfish and focused on your work and your hobbies and your things, but learn your wives. Be understanding towards them, honoring them. For if you don't, Peter even adds this, for if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. This verse implies, reminds us that the male is responsible ultimately for the state of the home. It doesn't mean you're guilty of every problem in your home, but you're responsible for every problem. Uh, The CEO of a company may not be guilty of the fraud that a lower-level employee committed, but he sure is responsible for it. And this is a strong statement of Peter. Strong statement, which implies the importance of men taking responsibility. You see, God cares how you run your home. He cares how you run your home and how you treat your wives. So much so that your prayers will be hindered if you do not take heed to these words. And in all of this, of course, Jesus is our example. We can only accomplish this in Him, by the power of the Spirit. He is our example. And this is, this is stated explicitly by Peter himself. Remember the word likewise in 3.1 and 3.7. It's not just there because of the command to submit to the hierarchical structures that God placed in our lives, but also... Christ's example to in, uh, endure and not repay evil for evil. Let's look at what our Lord did in 1 Peter 2.20. This is right before our passage. This is what uh, Peter says. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose... Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Likewise, wives. Likewise, husbands. You see, we must imitate Christ in our marriages. Men, look to Jesus as your example of how to lead. Women, look to how Jesus submitted to the bitter cup. Look at his gentleness. Husbands and wives, imitate Christ, your Savior. 
who died for your sins and rose again, who washed away your sins by his precious blood. Show your spouse the love of Christ. If you're a man, show your wife the love of Christ and how you're understanding and caring and in the way that you lead. And women, show your husband the love of Christ in your chaste and respectful behavior. And the command to all of us is, imitate your Savior by not returning evil for evil, yet praying for your spouse when they sin against you. Father, forgive them. James Dobson once said, Nothing brings husbands, wives, and children together more effectively than a face-to-face encounter with the Creator of families. And when you encounter our Creator in the face of Jesus Christ, the glory of the invisible God, you find the power by the Spirit of Christ to do good to those who do evil against you, especially if they live in your home. Relationships are challenging, especially marriage, surely, but if we follow God's ways and do not retaliate, instead doing good to the ones we love, even when they are not good to us, our relationships will be blessed. A godly spouse does what is right in the face of evil. Do you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you as we go forth from here, help us in any relationship that we are in to overcome evil with good as our Lord taught us. And we pray in his name. Amen.